Welcome to Nerd Out at Spotify, where we bring you behind the curtain of the world's most popular audio streaming subscription service. Machine learning, open source, clouds, tabs versus spaces. We'll talk to Spotify engineers about interesting tech issues, big and small. I'm Dave Zolotowski, Principal Engineer at Spotify. What do online travel companies, a major bank, dozens of U.S. federal agencies, and one of Canada's largest telecoms all have in common? Their software engineering teams all use Backstage, just like we do at Spotify. We've talked about Backstage on this podcast before. It's the developer portal that we built for ourselves and then open sourced as a platform that other companies could use to build their own developer portals. You can hear more about that journey in the very first episode of Nerd Out. But today, you'll hear less about our experience with Backstage and more about how it's helped improve the experience of developers at other companies. Last December, we launched Spotify plugins for Backstage, our first commercial enterprise software. At the launch event, Spotify's head of technology and platforms, Tyson Singer, was joined on stage by engineering leaders from Expedia Group, Bank of the West, consulting firm Booz Allen Hamilton, and digital telecom TELUS. We recorded that panel discussion and are sharing that with you here today. One of the things you might be surprised to hear is how similar developers are, no matter where they work, whether it's a financial institution or a streaming audio platform, and how we all face common problems that Backstage helps solve. And one last note before we hit play. Later on in the discussion, you'll hear about Spotify's RBAC plugin. RBAC stands for Role-Based Access Control. It's a framework for managing user permissions and access privileges within Backstage. It's nerdy, I know, but companies are very excited for it. All right, here's Tyson introducing our panel of Backstage adopters. You've been hearing a lot about Spotify's plans for Backstage. But we also want to make sure that folks have the opportunity to hear from the community. So we're really lucky today to have a number of people from our community who've been adopters here to talk about their experiences with the Backstage platform and how they've tuned it to improve the developer experience in their particular companies. I'm joined by Guillermo Manzo from Expedia Group, from Boyan Vasilev from Bank of the West, from Jason Miller from Booz Allen Hamilton, and last but not least, Nate Axel from TELUS. Thank you all so much for joining us today. Before we get into the questions, I'd love to hear from each of you a little bit about what your company does, what your role is there, what's sort of top of mind for developer experience at your company, and in particular, why did you choose to adopt Backstage? So why don't we just start from left to right? All right. My name is Guillermo Monzo, engineering leader within EGDX org under Expedia Group. Our team is responsible for supporting 6,000 plus developers across EG. We own the Backstage platform, end-to-end the core platform. And our main focus is around ship on day one, reduce context switching, increasing search relevancy, and technical documentation reach. And we leverage Backstage as our developer front door to do that. A couple of the key plugins we've been able to launch is our security platform hosted all within Backstage our reliability platform, as well as uh, EG's travel platform, OpenWorld, which is responsible for providing foundational capabilities to third-party developers building travel experience products. That's a lot of experience that you have with Backstage, and we're going to get into that. Awesome, thank you. Fantastic. Boyan, tell us a little bit about uh, your company, yourself, your role, and why you adopted Backstage. Absolutely. Um, my name is Boyan Vasilis. I work for Bank of the West, which is a mid-sized regional bank here in the U.S., we're mostly on the West Coast, and we're part of BNP Paribas, which is one of the largest banks in the world. 
we uh, have a ton of technology. As a bank, our main goal through the technology is always to service our customers, but also keep their data and their records really, really safe and protected. So there is a lot of emphasis on security, compliance, things like that. And we have to navigate those areas and also be able to ship code faster. When I started Bank of the West, I started with a DevOps platform team. We bought a lot of DevOps tools online to help people both stay compliant and also ship code fast. And we found that we really need to help them with the adoption of those tools. And another big part of why we chose to also kick off a developer experience team is that we have to navigate a lot of different processes, a lot of other teams that we interact with. We did a design thinking workshop with developers and we found out that the biggest problem they have is they don't know how to get going or they don't know how to get unstuck somewhere along those processes. So we, we are on our way to build a developer platform when Backstage was uh, donated to CNCF and we looked at it and we loved it uh, right away. We, uh, we know all of Spotify, we know how great a company that is. We also internally try to model our culture after Spotify, so it's uh, not just the tribes and the squads and everything else, but how we do, uh, how we operate internally with our repositories, how we have uh, domains and multiple people can contribute to a domain and things like that. So we thought that the principles around Backstage is built would also fit our culture. So that's why we yeah. Backstage. As I heard you, you talking there, you are already reflecting things that are quite common in Spotify culture and approach. You did the, like the workshops with the developers, like really focusing on them and understanding them. So that's that's a fantastic way to get started with Backstage. Jason. Sure. So as Tyson said, my name is Jason Miller. I'm, uh, I'm at Booz Allen Hamilton. Booz Allen is primarily working with the federal government. We work all across the government landscape. We have three market sectors, civilian services, national security, and global defense. And we have engineering teams spread out throughout those sectors. Thousands of engineers working on hundreds of projects across dozens of federal agencies. And when we looked at the work that we did, we started seeing that there are a lot of really common building blocks that our engineers need for every project. A good example, authentication. We found we're pretty much recoding authentication on every project, but the underlying code is pretty much the same. So why aren't we intersourcing this? Why aren't we reusing it? That's an opportunity. So we developed a product called Software Studio. I'm the lead product manager on Software Studio, which is a full stack software development ecosystem for accelerating consistent and repeatable modern software development practices. That's great. It's really important. We've seen extreme results with it very quickly, but there was a missing piece and that was the developer experience. If something isn't easy to use, it's not gonna get used. So we started looking at developer portals and we were really looking for something that is a single pane of glass that had the holistic experience for a dev, everything that they needed in one place so they could minimize context switching. And that led us to Discover Backstage, which has a lot of differentiating factors that some competitors don't that are important not just for us, but for our clients. That includes the plugin architecture, extensibility, customization. This is really big because we can build a developer portal that's one size fits most, but our client missions are all unique in their contexts. So we need to be able to extend that capability. We need to be able to be flexible so that we can meet their needs no matter what. So when we're building this, we need to break down these silos. And the silos between our development teams arise kind of naturally because we're extremely client focused. And that's great, we should be client focused. We're doing great work for our clients and they deserve great work. But 
we still need to remove those barriers to collaboration. When we're building the developer portal, we see that happen kind of almost in real time with contributions, right? We had our internal launch. We're drinking our own Kool-Aid here. You know, we're beta testing it, making sure that it has the effect that we want before we bring it to our clients. And already we have roughly 25% of our internal target audience using this for internal use cases. That's prototyping. It's strategic investments, it's proposal responses, which often require real solutions to be built. And it's even a training program, which is not something that we really predicted when we first started building Software Studio and started building the developer portal. So we've already seen it outgrow what we initially envisioned for it, which is really great. Our mission on Software Studio is to get this into the hands of every Booz Allen engineer, inculcate it as a part of their daily life, and really change the way that Booz Allen does software development internally and for our clients. Yeah, I mean, what you said about it being a sort of a learning platform for the organization really resonates, I think, yeah. with, of course, our company, because it is precisely that, and it probably resonates with a lot of other users. Nate? Yeah, so I'm Nate Axel. I work for Telus Communications. It is a telecom in Canada. We're, TELUS has been steadily becoming more of a digital company. Traditionally, it was a retail company focused entirely on store-based transactions. Our journey into the digital world has been a quick and rapid one. So as such, the team growth that we've had has been sort of, uh, maybe call it Wild West. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I know the feeling. Yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> we realized that there was a lot of things that were happening. One was that information and knowledge typically was stored within senior developers. And so your onboarding experience greatly depended on which team you were on and who you knew, rather than it being a sort of very thought out, planned process. Yep. So we looked at Backstage as a way to sort of mitigate that. We focused entire, uh, mostly on documentation to begin with, but as we started Diving into the platform, you realize as well that we could also use it for the software catalog, which is you know what was the primary focus for it. And that actually solves a lot of our problems as well, because one of the other problems that we have is that knowing who wrote a piece of software sometimes was a problem for us. We didn't necessarily know who to contact if something went wrong. Yep. And yeah, so we chose Backstage primarily because it is an open source software. And part of our initiative as well is to dive further into open source and be able to be a contributor back. So. What you just said, I could have talked to any engineer in Spotify that's been around for 10 years. They would have said the exact same thing. That's completely our journey. So <laughs> it's super familiar. And then, you know, Backstage came out of that. So before we get into specific questions, I'd love to hear from any of you or all of you a little bit on how you are approaching this ownership question, because you brought up ownership. So let's just start with the ownership of Backstage. Like, Who owns Backstage inside of your organization? And then taking that a step further, how do you think about encouraging and driving other folks to adopt the different plugins and contribute to the ecosystem? Anybody want to step up on that? Yeah, you're, I, yep. keep going. Yeah, so our team, so my team specifically, I guess would own the Backstage implementation. We focused around the core setup of it. The nice thing about it, though, is that we haven't really had to sell it a whole lot for in terms of inner sourcing plugin development. We've kind of shopped it around in our own internal demos and kind of shared our vision of what we want to do with the platform. And other teams have just picked up right on it. We've already got a bunch of other teams that are starting to develop their own plugins and for internal use. But we're also heavily focused in trying to push people towards 
open source as well. So while we do have a lot of inner source contribution, we want people to have like think open source first before yep. before you go inner source. Yep. We're, we're trying to keep the inner sourcing primarily towards stuff that obviously can't be open sourced, right? Yep. Guillermo, you were telling me a little bit in advance of our talk uh, that this is a, a pretty interesting topic within Expedia Group. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, so in regards to the ownership of Backstage, uh, my team within EGDX owns the Backstage implementation. EGDX itself owns the first-party developer experience and journey, right? So, And also the program around uh, what we call the Common Developer Toolkit, which started with around 300 tools that we're trying to reduce, kind of like in a tech radar, you know, trying to reduce the amount of tool sets we're paying for and using and the redundancy. And part of that came from the proof of value metrics that we created, which was uh, reduced context switching. And for us, reduced context switching is really focused around how we can, uh, how do you say, centralize all the different common developer tools and the core capabilities of those tools into one developer front door, right? And that's what Backstage is. So the plugin contribution model, which we were not expecting to become the bread and butter of Backstage for us, really took off. It really took off because uh, we, when we first started, we, you know, we kind of looked at it backstage a little bit earlier than most people did. So we did notice that the plugin architecture was really solid and it really allowed people like, uh, you know, individual plugins could be contributed to, which means people don't have to touch the core platform to contribute to their plugin. And we took that and sold that through, uh, you know, automated the, the creation of plugins, automated the, the you know, standard governance of it, put in baseline protections and use cases and continuously worked with Spotify on understanding that plugin architecture. And because of that, we were able to drive, how you say, confidence within EG. And we started with a critical area for almost any company, which is security. So by getting security to working directly with security to build a, you know, uh, a first set of capabilities within Backstage to prove their value, prove that they can centralize all the different fragmented security areas into one location, and then use them as a use case for other developers to build their own plugins. Right? It's still an ongoing mission. However, we've already got 20 plus common developer tools integrated, especially our core CICD capabilities and you know, onboarding capabilities. And because of that, we've effectively been able to continuously sell that piece of the plugin contribution model to developers. And once they hook in with that plugin contribution model, they're usually enticed to do the rest, right? So your plugin gets onboarded into the catalog. You can go look at your catalog. Now you're excited about the catalog and you're realizing all the services you built to service that plugin are also in that catalog as well. That actually really resonates with, with our contribution model at Booz Allen because we have two ownership models, like internal and external, because right. we have to have a different ownership model for our clients. And we envision that, you know, being for their entire IT portfolio. But we're a single scrum team that's building backstage yep. in our organization, right? And you can't, you said, like, you're shifting the onus off of the core team, right? Because this plug-in contribution model through externalized repos or packages or whatever it is, that empowers your clients, whoever they may be, to get their work done without having to rely on your team to do it for them. That's super duper powerful. Right. But one thing they do rely on us on is accountability. So yeah. we are responsible for holding plugin owners accountable for their customers. So plugin owners are our customers, and then indirectly their customers are ours as well. Right. So yes, in our case, it's all internal. But because we have to govern them, we do put a lot of effort in the feedback engine. We do put uh, the ship on day one to ensure they can build those plugins quickly or they can iterate and, how do you say, push code quickly. And then when you think about the DevOps readiness assessment, the door metrics, right, lead time, right? So we really do focus on trying to improve the DevOps aspects of a plugin developer's journey. Although we put the onus on them to be responsible for their code, we put the onus on us to be responsible for the reliability of those plugins. Yeah. 
what strikes me about this conversation so far is there's a lot of commonality, but I also heard some differences in the journey. So you're talking about security being one of the first things you tackled, was actually one of the later things that we tackled at, at Spotify. So there's like different value propositions. Boyan, as you were sort of reflecting on what the others were saying, was there anything different or similar in lo the, lot of the approach? Yeah, absolutely. We're one team, Scrum team, uh, supporting the core platform, okay. right? We, um, we're a little further behind. Uh, we haven't really built any custom plugins yet. We're working on our first one right now. But when we adopted Backstage, we spoke with the developers. I was super excited about software templates, right? That was my thing, or the catalog. I want to push the button and get a new app. But when we talked to them, what they really want of documentation, and I was like, oh, okay. We'll give you what you want. You have to, right? I, I was a tech writer. I, I feel this in my soul. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm a developer. So we just like, you know, push the button, things happen. But we decided to give them what they wanted, right? So we started with TechDocs, and, and our ownership model was that we owned the, uh, the platform, obviously, but every team would own their own TechDocs, and they can contribute to Backstage, their own TechDocs. And we had some, some pretty good wins already with that. And we are looking to build towards the plugin model and have other team kind of present whatever shared capabilities they have to the developer through plugins in Backstage. The developer has to go to one place, right? So Nate mentioned how they're sort of interacting both on inner source and open source. I'm curious a little bit about how each of your organizations is approaching and contributing to the open source community. I'll go ahead and kick that off. So in regards to open source, we actually made our first open source contribution. It was a, it was a small doc fix just to prove out that we could do it in August 2020. Uh, and from there, we've essentially consistently contributed to open source, really focused around search and filtering, you know, like core capabilities, you know, bug fixes. And then we, towards the end of, uh, if I'm correct, towards the end of 2021, we were able to collaborate with Spotify and actually launch the search model that we open sourced. So what we try to do is we try to align our roadmap, right, our internal needs, right? We go and see if the open source has that available or if there is customization opportunities that we could provide. Um, so it's really kind of a consistent, I wouldn't say, uh, wouldn't call it build versus buy, but rather an internal contribution versus external contribution. So the core team owns that process. So we decide like what we are going to contribute, but we definitely encourage the community, right? So if uh, engineer X wants to contribute something that's not, you know, in the core, there's nothing stopping you. That's the whole point of backstage being open source. You can contribute that and that's going to come into us in a way through an upgrade, right? So that's kind of how we handle the open source model, right? And we definitely do consistently collaborate with Spotify to align our core needs. And then internally, it's really, again, it's just a, the plugin contribution model is how we hold the internal process there where people contribute to their plugins. They make, because it's not core, they can basically build anything within the storybook, right? With, within mature UI. We then go and recognize the different capabilities. Like uh, a team had built our back before we built our back, right? Because our back's still in, in process. So then we can go and understand how they built our back and discuss with them and see what we can do to leverage that. And then discuss with Spotify on opportunities and collaboration and whatnot. So I think it's just a revolving feedback engine that we take there. And uh, more or less that core team is kind of decision-making on the core capabilities that we contribute. Yeah. Any other thoughts on the open source contributions? I'll go last if you guys have um, anything to add. One will be quick. We haven't contributed yet. We're still a very early adopter. We're just now at the end of, of enabling the core plugins that we wanted to uh, really use. Uh, but we're definitely looking forward to supporting the, the community. is phenomenal. We have a lot of interactions on Discord, or on GitHub, and we can't wait to do our part to help move the community forward. 
Yeah, I guess like the only other thing I was going to say, mention about that is that the nice part about being part of the open source community is that we kind of sort of roadmapped what we wanted to improve on Backstage. And because we are a small team and we're only one team, you know, some of that stuff was kind of pushed into the far future. But then we noticed that as we were building our improvements and aiming towards having open source contributions for those improvements, a lot of the stuff that we had further down the roadmap were actually being done by other people. And so then we just got those, you know, we were able to scratch those off our roadmap and then focus more on improving the stuff that we've already built or moving on to the next one. So, Yeah, and as you sort of think about this as well, our back was something that Guillermo brought up, but in particular with Booz Allen Hamilton, you were sort of an early adopter of some of this RBAC work. You've been testing the, the plugin. You've been part of the alpha. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your experience with this particular capability. Sure. We already knew we were going to have to do RBAC. It was, it was table stakes. And you know th there are a lot of reasons why, but you mentioned security earlier. I mean, there's a reason we put SEC into DevSecOps. You know, it's kind of a big deal. Because of that, Like as I said, it was table stakes. We cannot deprioritize that. And just as we're trying to figure out, well, where are we going to fit this in? Because one Scrum team changing the course of software development for an entire company and the government, we're never going to get to everything we need to get to. And then Spotify comes in and the backstage team says, hey, we got this RBAC plugin. Do you want to alpha test it? And first we're like, okay, be cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we're interested. And it's like, it, it, was, it was one of those things where I tried not to jump out of my shoes. And... It was a really great experience. Uh, the team was responsive and open and collaborative the entire time. We had engineering meetings so we could get some FaceTime and talk out problems, going back and forth on Slack to troubleshoot smaller issues. And the end result was like, this is months worth of work that we don't have to do directly, which Nate, you were talking about this too. That moved up our launch timeline by multiple quarters. But it seems like you've had quite a bit of uh, ROI already with and saving costs, the engineering costs of developing this are back. So that's, that's super awesome to hear. That's one of the key, and, things, and that, that's one the key things that uh, we are interested in our, our leaders taking a look at so they can make some solid decisions around these beta plugins, right? right? Yeah. So you brought up the ROI elephant. Like this is a really important part of developer productivity and it's, it's sometimes hard to justify. You've shared actually your approach on a, a blog post uh, on our site. Would love to hear a little bit more about that. How do you think about the sort of proof of value from Backstage and reason about ROI? Sure, yeah. So I think the blog we did was in 2021, focused around the four key metrics that we're going to kick off proof of value for Backstage. And I think I mentioned them earlier during the intro, which was uh, search relevancy, documentation reach, reduced context switching. I think one of the most important ones, which is ship on day one. Before Backstage, we already had multiple portals that we had, you know, Expedia Group had purchased many brands throughout the years. So they competed against each other, different portals, different processes. And that means different onboarding, as you know, one of y'all have already called out. Because that took about, what, four to six weeks as a new hire to join the company, uh, learn what's going on, find who your friends are that's going to give you that faster access because maybe there's not a doc with a doc lip somewhere else where it's copy-pasted. And then from there, you know, it's really stressful, right? Like, when are you going to get to code? When are you going to get to do your actual job? So we launched a program called uh, Hello World with our Expedia Group learning team. And we use backstage template, scaffolder uh, templating, to build a paved road template that allows you to click a button in backstage, right? And launch an end-to-end -end that you could actually go to the URL of that web app and post to LinkedIn. 
that you have already been able to deploy code into our production platform. So we launched that with our cohorts in January 2022, and we got rave reviews at the 90 plus percent success rate uh, from first try. Everybody was able to successfully do it. Got great feedback, and, and we used that Hello World template to provide more confidence to common developer toolkit owners to integrate into Backstage. So all the tools that, you know, like in regards to uh, CICD, catalog registry, right, and that lifecycle process, by clicking on that one template, we were able to go from four to six weeks to one day. We had similar effects. Like that, that was the entire reason behind Software Studio, taking the bootstrapping process and bringing it from multiple months in, in some cases. And now it's like, click a button, go get coffee, come back. Oh, here's my platform. Absolutely, right. Boyan, I think you have integrated your CI, CD approach into Backstage, but I want to take this sort of template value thing and take it to the sort of another step, which is I believe you've implemented the golden path concept as well. I'd love to hear more about like why you did that and what's the value proposition um, that you have in that. Absolutely. We did borrow the golden path idea from Spotify. We thought it was great. Heavy regulated environment we're working in. So there is a lot of things you need to do before you put an application in production, much more than everywhere else. You have to interact with a lot of teams and they all have their own way of working. One team has a SharePoint site, one team has a Confluence Wiki, a third team has their instructions in GitLab and, and, and so forth. And we, we do want to get to the place for this guy that when you click a button and all of these things are satisfied and we're working towards it. But where the value was for us the immediately was really documenting the golden path and having maybe 26 or 18 steps, depending on whether you're building an application from scratch in-house or you're deploying a vendor product, which we have a lot of at the bank. And going in order, here is where you start and link to documentation that another team has that you may need. In the place where the documentation was not there, we put it into Backstage. But as an engineer, you have a path of deploying software at the bank. And you know who to talk to, you know how to interface with them. Uh, and it, it really helped people just stop banging their head against the wall because they go somewhere for uh, questions, for answers, and they're like, hey, you need this. Well, where do I go? Well, I don't know. It's not me. But you need, you need it. We can't foresee without having this thing. We put all of that in order for them so they can, they can easily navigate our, our processes. Well, that's awesome. So if I'm correct, you're using Scaffolder and TechDocs to essentially provide your golden path for developers? Yeah, mostly the tech docs at the moment, and we are working on building templates where we want to interface with everybody. We need to interface with like security, infrastructure, audit compliance, and have all of these good practices like our back and everything else just built into the template, right? When you build an API, you're always going to secure it, right? You don't want developers to have to worry about writing the security of the API. You want them to worry about writing the business value of the API and everything else that we need, right? So we do have the security. We have the data protection, just like you. We're very, very heavy on keeping our data safe. It's not a fun thing to do, but it's an absolute necessity. Yeah. And we want to be able to have that and have developers focus their time on building fun stuff that they enjoy doing that drives ultimately the business value. So Backstage is, sounds like a, many different journeys on the way there. Some of you are earlier and later, but Nate, in particular, TELUS was one of the very early adopters of Backstage. And early adoption is not always a fun thing. Sometimes it's challenging. I would love to hear a little bit about your journey as an early adopter. What were some of the road bumps on the way? And then how have things evolved since then? Let's just start with that. Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, our core focus at the beginning was around having a centralized place for documentation. So the TechDocs integration was key for us. And yeah, when we first started off with it, we 
took backstage. We're like, this is great. And it has a bunch of things that we want. And then we kind of went way off into the customization land. And we didn't really have a strong focus around open source contribution at the beginning. So what ended up happening was that we really struggled with maintaining that balance between what we had customized and what was coming from the open source community. And over the year of our initial early adoption, we found that it was getting harder and harder to integrate with some of this great value that was being created in the open source community. It was also getting harder to maintain our version of Backstage because it was customized. And so about a year in, we actually hit the reset button. We threw out our original version of the platform and created a new one focused around being with the core of Backstage and focused on instead of customizing things for our own needs, wherever possible, we try to contribute to the core or just stick close to the core of Backstage. Yeah, um, I think the community very much appreciates that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And so as such, there, there's, I mean, I think probably the biggest one that we contributed was the Dynatrace plugin. We noticed that our, we were switching actually from New Relic to Dynatrace and noticed there wasn't a plugin. We very much also like to have we're aiming for that single pane of glass that you mentioned earlier. And having that plugin uh, was core to what we needed. And so, yeah, we, we've completely switched our approach to how we maintain the product and the plugins that we create for it. So, yeah. In regards to the, <clears throat> I think your question revolved around kind of the level of difficulty contributing to open source. And I think in the, in the early on, since, you know, you know y'all were just starting, right? This backstage itself was still being ramped up. Really, there wasn't a real expectation that things would be, you know, really quick when it comes to contributing. I think there was a lot of great direct conversation and direct, you know, even some handholding needed so that way we could get some stuff through. But as time progressed over the years, I feel like the contribution model for open source has really grown in a way that, you know, we could kind of easily recognize what it takes to, how you say, become a maintainer, right? Or what does it take to become, you know, this, that second level to and get those PR reviews and whatnot. I would say our struggle as a larger company is dedicating, right, that, that resourcing, that one resource of those two people to do just contributions. So we've uh, more or less settled with a swarming technique in conversations with Spotify. But for the most part, I would say that the contribution model itself is fairly straightforward. We are looking for opportunities to you know, further integrate into that model as, again, there's thousands of developers working on backstage and open source versus the few hundred that we may have internally, which means that that's tons of better support that we'd like to, to use. Yeah, well, th there are other ways that you can contribute as well. I mean, what you guys have been talking about is you know, kind of on the nose for contributing. It's what we really need to grow the platform. But one of the more unique perspectives that Booz Allen tries to bring to open source is particular industry experience that most other companies don't have because they don't work with the federal government. We have a lot of exposure to demand signals and trends in the government industry that a lot of other folks don't have. So we can get ahead of them and we can use that to kind of help shape the requirements and the roadmap that Backstage has for the betterment of everybody. We have a couple of things that we've talked about with the team. Uh, one of them is Section 508 compliance. If you're unfamiliar, Section 508 is a, is a set of government standards for accessibility. It's required in government applications, but it's, in our view, good citizenship to just do it all the time. So by getting that to be a native part of Backstage, we're ensuring that people with disabilities can still be a part of our community. And I think one of the most beautiful things about open source is inclusivity, making sure that we have everyone involved who wants to be involved, welcoming them and their diversity of ideas and experiences. 
And by having 508 compliance, that ensures that those people can be a part of this. We're inviting them in very explicitly, and that's a great thing to do. Yeah, I mean, on that, uh, that note, the importance of inclusivity in the open source ecosystem, I think we should uh, wrap this up. So I really want to thank all of you for joining today. Every time I talk with somebody who's contributing to the backstage ecosystem, I learn something new. Like, just, it's amazing, the energy and the innovation that's going on in this space. So again, thank all of you for your contributions and joining us today. I'd also like to thank everybody who tuned in to learn more about Spotify plugins for Backstage. If you're interested in learning more about our plugins, please contact us at backstage.spotify.com slash plugins. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about Backstage, check out our first four episodes of Nerd Out. And make sure to rate us and hit that follow button so you don't miss the next episode. Nerd Out at Spotify is produced by Spotify's Ted Vergakis and by Seaplane Armada, who also wrote our killer theme song. I'm Dave Zolotuski. Thanks for nerding out with us.